0: The gospel for this fourth Sunday after Trinity comes from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 6, verses 36 through 42, and it's on page 729 of the Pew Bible. In this gospel lesson, Jesus teaches us how to react when we encounter sin in the lives of others and in our own lives. Please stand for the gospel from Luke 6. We begin reading at verse 36. And Jesus says, Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye When you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Gracious Father, these are your words. Sanctify us in the truth, your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus says, Judge not. It is my, um, I guess, mostly unresearched guess that this might be the most quoted verse from the Bible, or at least the one that gets quoted most often on the internet. I I did a quick survey of tweets with the hashtag judge not just to get an idea of how people were using it. And the, the results were, well, rather interesting, I guess. I hope that doesn't sound too judgmental. While the command, judge not, is sometimes quoted by Christians, it seems to me that it is most often quoted by unbelievers to tell us Christians to shut our mean and judgmental mouths. It's that uh, rhetorical silver bullet to tell Christians to keep silent on topics such as abortion or marriage or whatever social issue we may be debating this week. Sometimes, to be honest, it is used correctly. Sometimes, unbelievers are right when they tell us to shut our mean, judgmental mouths. Other times, it might be taken out of context, and sometimes, rather ironically, it might even be used in a rather judgmental way. But you can be the judge of that, or or maybe not. We'll see. The primary question we really have to deal with is, who is the judge? Who has the right to judge another person? And beyond that, I suppose the more important question might be, if someone has the right to judge you or me, how will it go? How would such a person judge you and me? Deep down, everyone or at least most everyone, agrees that someone has the right to judge. Only a thoroughly consistent anarchist would believe that no one has the right to judge. Pretty much everyone believes that someone has the right to judge something. A clear example of this in our society is judges and juries. They obviously have the right to judge, and in their case... Judging is actually a good work. It is what they are supposed to do for the good of society. And so suppose that you commit a crime, like uh, you steal your neighbor's bike and you are brought to trial for it. But you read this passage and you think you have a bulletproof defense, so you decide to take the witness stand and answer for yourself. The prosecuting attorney begins with a very simple question. He says, You stole that bike, didn't you? Then you're ready to unleash your brilliant defense strategy. So you look the lawyer square in the eye and you say, come on, man, judge not. The trial might not go well for you. (laughs) Your brilliant defense strategy will fail. Because someone really does have the right to judge. In a court of law, specific people are appointed to judge. And this is just part of good government. Even in our personal relationships, there may be times when judging or at least pointing out sin is the appropriate thing to do. So suppose that I am your neighbor and it is my bike that you steal. I'm pulling into my driveway when I see you walking out of my shed with my bike. What should I do? I would probably confront you and say something like, Um, excuse me, I believe that is my bike and I would like to keep it, please. Then you say, Come on, man, judge not. Is that all you need to do to win the argument and my bike? Should I then just let you have it? Regardless of how it might affect me, would that be the best thing for you? And would it be the best thing for our community? If I were to let you steal my bike, which I'm not going to do, it would not only be bad for me, but it would also be bad for you, as well as our community. It would be much better for you to learn to work for and to earn the things that you want. And it would also be good for our community to not have thieves in it. So when I see you trying to steal my bike, I should judge in my mind that you are committing a sin, and I should prevent you from doing it. And so, from these examples, it is obvious that in the role of government, and even in our personal relationships, there are situations where judging is appropriate. And this is also plain from Scripture. But this, of course, does not nullify Jesus' commands, does it? Obviously, Jesus does not mean that we should ignore sin and pretend that it does not really exist. That would not be good for anybody. But Jesus does mean something, and his words, when you look at them, are really quite strong. Jesus really does mean it when he says, judge not, and you will not be judged, and condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. If you steal my bike, I should forgive you. There may even be times when I should simply give you my bike. And when I see you stealing my bike, I should not consider first my own rights. Instead, I should think of what is best for you. That would be the proper use of God's law. But, all too often, we use God's law wrongly. We use God's law to push people down so that we can feel better about ourselves. So when I see you stealing my bike, not only do I confront you about it, but I also judge you in my heart. It is one thing to judge your sin as wrong in my mind so that I can discern the proper course of action. But it is another thing to judge you in my heart. And this is the real temptation for us. When I see you steal a bike, whether it's my bike or someone else's bike, in a strange and sinful way, it actually makes me feel better about myself. Because I can say to myself, look at that horrible person. I would never do something like that. And then I feel less bad about my own sin. We use other people's sin to make ourselves feel less bad about our own. Perhaps you have even noticed that in our own sick and sinful way, we get some kind of gratification from watching crime on the news because it makes us feel better about ourselves. We collect in our minds this list of all the people who are worse than us and we use this list to justify ourselves. And this is wrong. We do this all the time. We do it with political and social issues too. We might take a stand for biblical morality, and this is right. Christian citizens should advocate for laws that do good things, like protect life. We should advocate for laws that ensure peace and minimize violence. We should advocate for laws that give children the best chance to have both a mother and a father. And Christians should advocate for laws that protect and help the poor and the sick. Laws that limit oppression. Such laws are good when they are consistent with God's will and contribute to a well-ordered society. Advocating for laws that do good is good. This is our vocation as Christian citizens. But we so easily fall into sin when we see the people who disagree with us as our enemies. And then we demonize them, and we add them to the list of people who are worse than us. And we use this list to justify ourselves. And this is wrong. This is sin. Sometimes our rhetoric against our political opponents becomes filled with hate. And it becomes apparent that we would rather see them perish than repent. We feel the same way that Jonah felt about Nineveh. This is contrary to the will of God. And this is sin. We can be right in a very wrong way. We do this because our hearts are corrupt. We do this because tearing other people down makes us feel better about ourselves. And this really is Sick. We don't just do this with strangers. We do this in our personal relationships, too. Siblings do this to each other. Husband and wife do this to each other. We do it to other members of our congregation. We accuse one another of sin because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Have you ever noticed that perhaps when you are feeling particularly guilty about something... It's very easy to accuse someone else of sinning. We attempt to transfer our guilt to someone else because this soothes our guilty consciences. The guiltier we feel, then the louder we scream about the injustices, both in our personal relationships and in society. This might make us feel less guilty, but it really just adds sin on top of sin. So, what should we do? Should we just keep our mouths shut about sin? Should we say, to each his own? Well, no, not really. That's not the right course of action. Judge not is not about saying everyone is okay. Instead, it is about saying none of us are okay. And all of us need repentance. And look again at what Jesus says. He says, first, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. The speck in your brother's eye does matter, just not as much as the plank in your own. We should care about our neighbor's sin because we might be able to help. And so when I confront you about stealing my bike and you say, come on, man, judge not, I should not just back down and let you take my bike. Yes, I am a sinner. And yes, I am probably using your sin to justify myself. And that is my sin. But even if this is true, I should not let you steal my bike because that would not be good for anyone. But... Suppose I catch you stealing my bike as I am coming home from robbing a bank. I'm feeling a little bit guilty about my crime already, and I would very much like to transfer my guilt to someone else. So I jump out of my car and confront you about my bike while carrying sacks of money that say property of a middle-class American federal savings bank. In this scenario, when you say, come on, man, Judge not, you might have a legitimate point. And so, before I argue with you about the morality of stealing my bike, I should get back in my car and drive to the police station, hand over the money, and turn myself in. Then, after removing this plank from my own eye, perhaps I could use some of the spare time I now have in prison to write a very humble letter about how stealing bikes could lead to breaking the Eighth Commandment on a larger scale. This would be the best course of action. However, that still would not make me any less guilty of my crime, right? Turning myself in, mentoring a young thief, these things would not remove my guilt. The judge might give me a lighter sentence, but I would still be guilty, wouldn't I? Both in the eyes of the state and in the eyes of God. Nothing I can do will remove my guilt. It does not matter, you see, how contrite we are for our sins, what kind of show we can put on. It does not matter how humble we are or how humble we pretend to be. It will not lessen our guilt. And regardless of how gentle you are when you debate and vote for righteous causes, you cannot lessen your guilt. You cannot lessen the guilt for the sins that you have already committed. You cannot lessen the guilt for the hatred in your heart. Just as you cannot justify yourself by tearing other people down, neither can you justify yourself by lifting other people up whether we seek to justify ourselves by tearing others down or by lifting others up, our sin is still our own. We have still broken God's commandments. We are still guilty. We have still sinned in thought, word, and deed against the only sinless being in the universe, and nothing we can do can make this right. And so now we must return to the really important questions. Remember, who is the judge? And how will it go for you and for me when he judges? How God judges you and me is really more important than how we judge one another. So notice what Jesus says right before judge not. What does he say? He says Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Your Father in heaven is merciful. And of course he is. God is not a hypocrite. God does not command us to do something that he refuses to do. You and I might be hypocrites, but God is not. He commands us to be merciful because he himself is merciful. The Sermon on the Plain, that's what we call this sermon in Luke, along with the Sermon on the Mount, the parallel sermon in the Gospel of Matthew, both of these sermons, they contain clear instructions to us of how we should live and how we should treat those around us. And this is plain to see. You pick it up, you read it, you see that It's obvious. But we might miss something. Because these sermons, they communicate much more than that. As much as they uh, reveal the character that God desires to see in us, even more so they reveal the character of God. The Father desires us to be merciful because He is merciful. Christ commands us not to judge because He has already been judged in our place. He commands us not to condemn, because he has borne our condemnation in his body on the cross so that he might forgive our sins and give us eternal life. And so it is because of this that he also commands us to forgive and to give. God simply desires that as he has dealt with us, so we would also deal with those who sin against us. God is not a hypocrite, and this is good. You and I might be, but God is not. God does not command us to do anything that he has not already done. So who is the judge? Christ Jesus is the judge. The one who has already been condemned for you is your judge. The only person who truly has the right to judge and condemn you is the very person who does not. Instead of judging you based on your sins, he judges you based on his own righteousness. He does not condemn. He pardons. He declares you innocent for his own sake, and he gives to you eternal life. And so may this Mercy of God be apparent in our lives as well. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.